Hello, everybody. Feel free to make your way back to your seats as we continue our Sunday service. Um, we're so glad you're here to join us, whether you are a veteran or whether this is your first time or anybody in between. Um, we Last week, we just wrapped up a sermon series called Putting Your Life in Order, in which we talked about um, ordering all these different aspects of our lives, our mind, our emotions, our relationships, our church, things like that. And next week, we'll be starting a short sermon series. We're going through the book of Titus. I'm excited because I've, I've actually never been through a sermon series on Titus before. But today is a solo sermon. And uh, whenever there are solo sermons, there's just opportunities for me to share about just random things that God has been teaching me over the past few years. And so that's what this sermon is about. Today's sermon is titled, God's Heart for the Wanderer. God's Heart for the Wanderer. And the reason why um, I'm thinking about this is because over the past few years, I've been running into more and more of these people who I call them wanderers. And what I mean by people who they used to attend church consistently and now they don't for whatever reason. And they're sort of sort of meandering about, wandering about. All right. And there are many different reasons why uh, we wander. Uh, for some folks, there is sin involved. Some folks, there's some sin inside of their lives and uh, that causes them to isolate themselves from Christian community and from church and or something like that. And this is the kind of wandering that's implied in the song, Come Thou Founts. Maybe you're familiar with that, where it goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God of love. And so we have these sins in our lives that are enticing us to leave the God we love, right? So that's one kind of wandering. But there are other types of wandering that aren't really rooted in sin, or at least our own sin. Sometimes it's a matter of us changing our Christian theology, and we realize as we are changing our Christian theology that we don't fit in into the church that we attend. Maybe we grew up in a certain tra uh, church tradition, and this is sort of all we know, and uh, we're made to think that all these other church traditions are not worthwhile. and so. We start to question some of the things in our own church tradition. We don't know where to go. We don't feel like we fit in there. And so we don't go anywhere. Um, you know, recently I was talking to an old friend. She was a college friend. And uh, she was sort of a standard Protestant evangelical when we were in college. But during our college years, she sort of went through a, a transition. She started to question, you know, how she thought about things. And her views on heaven and hell changed. Her views on the atonement changed. Her views on the Bible changed. And long story short, she became Eastern Orthodox. She was she was white. She's okay. So she she had no. I'm not white. She was uh she was not descended from anybody who would have been a part of an Eastern Orthodox church. Okay, and then so she just but she just sort of made her way into the Eastern Orthodox church after a series of wandering around. For others, it's not necessarily theological uh, that causes them to wander. It might be cultural or political, maybe they're part of a Christian community, uh, and this community has decided to take a certain stance on a certain social issue, a political issue. And they realize that that's not their stance. They feel like outsiders. And when those topics are talked about, uh, they feel like they don't belong. They feel like uh, no one really understands them. And so sometimes they feel so out of place that they leave. And for others, Maybe they've been hurt by the church. 
Maybe it's abuse, maybe it's gossip, maybe it's adultery, maybe it's apathy, maybe it's disunity, whatever the case, they had some experience in the church and they've been hurt. And oftentimes they've been hurt by a pretty prominent member, someone with a prominent position in the church, someone who in many ways represents the church. And when that happens, that does a toll on you. Because this person in your mind is so linked with the church, it feels hard for you to step back into the church. And so when you have emo you have all these emotions, when you think about the pain you've had, maybe there's guilt or fear or anxiety. And especially if you feel like you've tried to share your pain and it wasn't received well, then there may be layers of self-doubt or self-criticism. Maybe you feel like people are judging you and maybe you feel bitter. And I was talking to another friend recently, you have a ton of these examples, uh, but I was talking to another friend recently who was hurt by the church. And um, basically she and her husband, they had been attending a church for a while and their church decided to take a stance on a certain issue. And it was not their stance, but it wasn't the stance that was a big deal. What was a big deal to her was she felt like the church had no nuance and no empathy for people who differed on that issue. And she and her husband, they met with the pastor and, um, and basically she summed it up as the pastor basically said, don't let the door hit you on the way out. That was basically their response. And uh, she just felt so hurt. Maybe you identify as a wanderer yourself, or maybe as you hear all these examples, your people come to mind, family members or friends come to mind and you go, oh, those people who don't attend church right now, they're the folks who are wandering around. And here's the thing about wanderers. Many of them, they haven't given up on Jesus. For many of them, there's something about the gospel, something about Jesus that still resonates with them. They still want, to some degree, a relationship with Jesus. But many of them, they just... Um, my friend who, who was hurt by the church, she said, I just feel like I don't know where the true church is. Many of them, that's just how they feel. So uh, those are the folks I want to talk to and talk about today. But before we do that, let's just pray and lift up this time and ask God to intervene. All right, let's do that. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for this time. God, we thank you for what you're about to share with us today and about your heart for those who wander. And God, we lift up all the wanderers who are in our church all the wanderers who maybe we are in relationship with, maybe they're not a part of our church, but uh, we're tied to them relationally. And God, we pray that you give us the eyes to, to see how you see them and how best we must see them and how we can reach them too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of Jesus' parables uh, that is very short, but um, is packed with meaning is the shepherd, uh, the shepherd who has the 100 sheep. And if you're not familiar, he has 100 sheep. One goes missing. He goes, he leaves the 99. He finds this one sheep and he brings it back and he's, he's overjoyed. For most of my life, I interpreted this parable as a story about God seeking out non-Christians. That God has a heart for people who are not saved. And so God... You know, Jesus is one who goes and seeks and saves the lost. And so God is going out and he finds these non-Christians and he brings them back. But I think it's actually more nuanced than that. 
This parable appears in two places. The first is in Matthew 18, and the second is in Luke 15. And interestingly, the context of both of these parables are very different. In Luke 15, the context is Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, and people are asking, why do you hang out with sinners and tax collectors? And then Jesus tells a story. He tells us three stories, actually. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and then lost son, the prodigal son. And in that context, it seems pretty clear Jesus is talking about God's heart for the sinner and the tax collector, the people who are outside, the people who are not saved, potentially. But the Matthew 18 context is actually quite different. I think the Matthew 18 passage is actually not about non-Christians. It's about wandering Christians. And I'm going to, and I, I didn't just make this up, okay? I'm going to lead you through this. I'm gonna, we're going to read through Matthew 18, 1 through 14, the whole context. And I'm going to explain why I think this. And I'm going to, and so but before we read in the first reading, I want you to notice this phrase, these little ones, okay? So it's going to pop up a few times. Let's just read Matthew 18, 1 through 14 together. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I, tr I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes once a child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you did not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owes a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. All right, so we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study, okay? Uh, sort of like a, we're just going to dive down and look at words and see how verses match each other, stuff like that, okay? So um, here's my case, all right? I believe that this wandering sheep is about disciples of Jesus who have wandered away from the church. Okay, why do I say that? First off, I believe, Matthew 18, 1 through 14 is a united section. You got to read the whole thing together. And the reason why I say that is because in the beginning, Matthew talks about little children. And then throughout the rest of these verses, he keeps referring back to these little ones. Okay, so he's, he's introducing the topic of little children. And then he keeps referring back to these little ones all the way down to verse 14. So who are these little ones? Okay, at first glance, you might think, oh, these are just little children. Jesus is talking about little children. But I don't think... That's the case. I think these little children, it's a metaphor. Okay, let's reread verse three to four. It says, and he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes a lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So 
Jesus, I don't think is talking about little children. He's talking about people who become like little children, right? He's saying become like these people. And then he says, take the lowly position of children of these. So he's saying, he's talking to disciples, I believe, to grownups, which can include little children, obviously, but it's not excluded to little children. He's saying, become like little children, become uh, people who have lowly positions, all right? So he's talking about people who are humble. He's talking about people who are, uh, he's given the command for them to adopt humility. Well, what else do we know about these little ones? Well, he says, they have entered the kingdom of heaven. If someone has entered into the kingdom of heaven, that's, you know, that's sort of Christian lingo for, they are Christians. They're disciples of Jesus. They've been born again. And this, I think, can be verified in Matthew 10, 42. Matthew 10, 42, by the way, is the only other place that this phrase, these little ones appears in the book of Matthew. So these little ones, this phrase appears in Matthew 18 and also appears in Matthew 10, 42, which says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, who is my disciple? Truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So this is a phrase that Jesus uses sometimes, these little ones, to refer to his own disciples. Okay, so we can say with confidence, these little ones are Christians. So what, So let's just sum up everything we know about these little ones, okay? So they are people who are humble followers of Jesus. They probably don't have high positions in the church, but they are disciples, okay? Well, let's keep going. Verse 5 to 6 of Matthew 18, this is what Jesus says about these little ones. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, there it is again. He's defining these little ones as those who believe in me. To stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, this is some serious language, okay? Jesus is saying, if you're causing one of these disciples to stumble, it's better for you to drown. Um, now, what does it mean to stumble? What does it mean to cause someone to stumble? Okay, here's a brief word study. Okay, this verb to stumble is the Greek word skandalizo. And it can be translated in a number of ways. One way, of course, is to stumble and uh, and, it, and and sort of imply that someone is sinning. Okay, so by stumbling, you're sinning in some way. You're doing something wrong. But there's another way that it can be translated, which is to fall away. To fall away. And this same verb is used, for example, in Matthew 26, 31 to 33. I'm going to read this. This is shortly before Jesus is arrested, then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away, that's the term, on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you in Galilee. Peter replied, even if I'll, even if all fall away, there's a term again, on account of you, I never will. So here, there's an example where the verb scandalizo, it's not about sinning, it's about scattering. It's about leaving the main base, if you will, leaving the flock. Okay, so keep that in mind. Let's go back to five and six. Okay, so one way to read Matthew 18, six, that's the one about, you know, if anyone causes someone to stumble. Whoa, okay. One way to read this is this. If anyone causes one of these disciples to fall away and leave the flock, it would be better for them to be drowned. That's one way to read this. And I think that's the right way to read this because it's in direct contrast with verse five, right? Verse five says, 
welcome these little ones. Bring them into the fold. Welcome them. And then verse six is the opposite. Do not cause them to leave the flock. Right? Do you see that contrast? I think that's the better way to interpret this. So it's saying, if you are someone in the church, don't do things to cause someone to leave the flock. Okay? Keep that in mind. All right? Then we go to verse seven through nine. That's the one about cutting off your hand, gouging on your eye. And so what this is about is essentially saying that you can cause yourself to stumble, right? So other people can cause you to stumble or to fall away, but you can do it to yourself. Your hand could do it to yourself. Your eye could do yourself. So you got to treat it seriously. So just as someone else is causing you to stumble and they got to treat that seriously. If you're causing yourself to stumble, you got to treat that seriously yourself. All right. And by the way, this is something Jesus does. Sometimes this is hyperbole. Okay. So I do not recommend cutting off your hand or gouging on your eye. Okay, this is just language that Jesus does sometimes. It's a literary device, okay? And then Jesus goes to verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. All right, so this is what Jesus is doing so far. He says, he brings these children. He says, be like these little ones. And then he says, welcome these little ones. And he says, don't cause these little ones to stumble and do not despise these little ones. All right. So he's, he's talking about these little ones. And then side note, verse 11 is missing in most Bible versions. If, if you're not aware, this happened several times in the new Testament. Basically, whenever you see this, you, you, most versions, you see the little, little bracket and you see the, uh, a missing verse. What's going on is for a long time, uh, a lot of Bibles had this verse. And then we did a bunch of archeology span and because of our archaeology, we dug up these earlier manuscripts. And a lot of these earlier manuscripts don't have this verse. And so scholars include, they conclude that in the original Bible, this verse was missing. But somewhere along the way, for whatever reason, some scribe added it in. Maybe it was a footnote or maybe as a, you know, adding their opinion or adding the commentary. And then future scribes just added it in and guys got added to the Bible. But they took it out because... They're not changing the Bible. They're just trying to mask the Bible up to the original Bible. Anyway, that's a side note. Okay, so verse 11 is missing. Then we get to verse 12 to 14. What do you think? If a man owns 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So Jesus he interprets his own parable through verse 14. He says, he, he gives a parable, 12, 13, and then verse 14, he says, in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any, any of these little ones should perish. So in the context, I think it makes sense. These little ones are the same as the whole passage that these sheep who are wandering away are disciples of Jesus. Okay, so what's the meaning of this parable? I think it's this. If you have a church, and in this church, one person wanders away, then the father will go out and look for the one who has wandered away in order to bring that person back. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. You know, earlier, I talked about different reasons why someone may wander away. One reason could be someone's own sin. And that was mentioned in this passage as well, right? If your eye causes you to stumble or if your hand causes you to stumble, then you, then, then you got to take radical, drastic measures to stop that so that you can come back. But another reason why someone may wander 
is also mentioned or hinted at in this passage, and that's verse six. It's because potentially other people were causing them to stumble. Other people were causing them to fall away. And I think that's why Jesus condemned those who cause the little ones to stumble. Because sometimes you do such a toll on these folks and it could be so hard to bring them back. And that's why I think uh, God in Jeremiah 23, 1 says something very similar. This is Jeremiah 23, 1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. You know, this verse, uh, as someone who's uh, a pastor, like I, I, I feel so shaken up every time I read this. I think there's just, there's just such, God just sets the bar in such a way for people who are leaders of the church that we, I just think every leader in the church just needs to read this verse every now and then, you know? so that they can check themselves and ask themselves, are they doing things to potentially destroy and scatter the sheep of the pasture? But unfortunately, throughout history, religious leaders have done just that. They have destroyed and scattered God's people. This happened in the Old Testament. That's why Jeremiah said this. This happened in the New Testament. You know, Jesus was always encountering religious leaders who did stuff like this. And it's still going on today. In the modern church in America, unfortunately, many shepherds have destroyed and scattered the sheep of God's pasture. And as a result, many sheep are wandering away. But thank God for the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18, because what it teaches is that God is not like these false shepherds. God is willing to go out and seek them and find them and bring them back. He is on a mission to seek out wandering sheep and to bring them home. I want to say a quick word to the wanderers out there, and then I'll say a quick word to the 99. All right. Um, first to the wanderers, maybe you're in this room right now. And, uh, you know, it was difficult enough for you to show up in this room. Or maybe you're just listening to this recording after the fact. You know, I don't know your story. I don't know why you're wandering. I don't know if it's your fault or someone else's fault. But here's what I do know. There is a consistent pattern in the Bible of God seeking out the wanderers in the wilderness. It happens throughout the whole book. God appeared to Hagar. Hagar was a single mother who was in an abusive relationship before, and she ran away with her son, and she and her son were dying of thirst in the wilderness, and God appeared to Hagar. God appeared to Jacob. Jacob was also on the run. He was in the middle of nowhere because he just deceived his brother Esau, and Esau wanted to kill him, and God appeared to him there. God appeared to Moses. Moses killed an Egyptian and then went on the run and lived for 40 years. He just basically rebooted his life to start over, and he was living for 40 years in the wilderness, and God appeared to Moses. God appeared to Elijah. He was on the run from Queen Jezebel. He just did this big miracle with this altar. Now he's afraid for his life because Jezebel wants to kill him. He thinks he's all alone and he says he wants to die. And God appeared to Elijah. 
And God appeared to Jonah. Jonah was on the run. He was disobedient. Didn't want anything to do with God. He was sailing on a boat in the opposite direction. And God appears to him in a storm and then a fish. So why did God do all these things? Because God's heart is for the wanderer. It doesn't matter why you are wandering. It doesn't matter if it was a good reason or a bad reason. It doesn't matter if it's your fault or someone else's fault. The pattern in the Bible is that God's heart is for the wanderer. You know, when I was a child and I first heard this parable of the lost sheep, you know, when I first heard Jesus ask, you know, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? My first response was no. Why would, why would you do that? You have a hundred, you have 99 sheep over here and you have one sheep over here. 99 is a lot larger than one. One, you know, you lose one out of a hundred. That's not a big deal. Why would you leave 99 to find the one? That's weird. But thank God that God is not like me. I think the whole point of this is that God runs against many of our human instincts. Our human instinct is to preserve the majority, to uh, be protective of what we do have, and to be apathetic about what seems insignificant and little. But that's not God's way. He is willing to leave the 99 to look for the one who wandered off. That is God's pattern. He didn't have to seek out Hagar and Jacob and Moses and Elijah and Jonah, but he did. So if you're wondering, I encourage you to open your eyes and see that maybe God is looking for you and he is trying to bring you home. You know, uh, Jacob, when he was wandering away, he received this vision from God. And, and after he, he had a dream, and then he woke up from the dream, and he said something fascinating. This is Genesis 28, 16. He said, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. You know, many times we're wandering around, and it feels like there's nothing going on. It just feels like it's total dryness, total emptiness, total brokenness, total decay, and there's nothing. But maybe God is there, and you're just not aware. So I just pray that you would open your eyes. Maybe you've been hurt by the church, but God isn't like these other shepherds. He won't hurt you. He's a good shepherd, and he lays down his life for the sheep. To the 99, I just want to encourage you to have the same compassion that God has for the one. Welcome them. Advocate for them. Do not do anything to cause them to stumble or fall away. And join in on God's mission to seek them out and to bring them back. Now, I want to encourage you to think, think about the people in your own life. I mean, I think it's common enough that we probably know at least one, if not more. But think about the people in your own life who are, they used to be part of the hundred and they've wandered away. They used to actively attend the church. Maybe they, you know, there are so many people who come to mind. There's one guy 
when I was in youth group, I looked up to him so much. He was a year older than me. And uh, he played guitar on the worship team and, uh, and, and in, in college. I remember he wandered away. Back then, we used to write letters, and not, not most people, but it was still relatively common. I wrote this long letter, handwritten letter. Can you believe it? To him to try to investigate what's going on, but he just, he just wandered away. I had a, a roommate in college. I lived with him four years. He prayed probably more than anybody else I knew. And then a few years after college, he wandered away. I just encourage you to think about these people in your life. People who used to attend church regularly, maybe they were on the worship team, maybe they led a small group, maybe they were role models to you, and for some reason or another, they walked away. And then think, how might God be using me and calling me to welcome them back? How might God be using me and calling me to welcome them back? Matthew 9, 36 to 38, this is Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There are countless sheep out there today. They're just wandering around, harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. If you're part of the 99, I just encourage you, let's make it our aim to find them, to seek them out, to spend time with them, be gentle with them, be patient with them, speak truth and love to them so that they may come home too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this parable that you've given us that gives us a little glimpse into your character and how you are so different. Uh, from the way we might do things, your math is, it just works differently because you prioritize the few. You prioritize this, the little ones. You prioritize those who, in the eyes of the world, they, don't, they may not have much significance or power or influence, but you love them still. So God, I pray for those of us who are in the 99, that you would give us that compassion and that empathy and that sense of mission of knowing that the sheep who are in this fold, we're not complete until we brought those other sheep who are not in this fold back in. May you give us that heart to seek out the one and God, I pray for the wanderers in our midst, those who have wandered away. I pray in courage and in faith and boldness that you would bring them back. I pray in regards to maybe some of the doubts they might have, some of the skepticism they might have, some of the bitterness they might have. I pray that you would give them the strength and the perseverance to work through all of these things and to see that you are much bigger than it all. And no matter how much sin 
has taken place, whether in their own hearts or in the hearts of others, whether they are perpetrators of sin or victims of sin themselves, your grace is so much bigger and stronger, and you have the power to bring them back, to bring them to full restoration. I pray that healing would happen in the name of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.